Hi, I'm Katie Marquette, and you're listening to Born of Wonder. And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. This amazing, beautiful, sacred music you're hearing is performed by the choir at Brompton Oratory Mass uh, in London. You may be familiar with it uh, because it was founded by John Henry Newman, um, one of the most famous converts to Roman Catholicism from Anglicanism. I recorded this audio uh, two years ago. Uh, I was in London. I had been on this amazing adventure. I'd gone to Italy and Scotland and ended up in London and um, went to Mass there. And it was just an incredible, incredible experience. And I mean, you can just, can you imagine this is just normal Sunday Mass? This wasn't a special day or anything like that. Um, It was actually right around this time of year, though. Uh, It's almost exactly two years ago now. And this is just, this is what you experience when you go to Sunday Mass at the Oratory. So I wanted to celebrate All Souls Day. Happy All Souls Day. Hopefully everyone has been having a great uh, hollow-tide triduum here, the triduum of All Hallows' Eve, All Saints' Day, and All Souls' Day. So if we think about um, this is celebrating sort of uh, the different aspects of of the church, really. There's the church present here on earth um, Uh, dealing with uh, all kinds of um, attacks from evil forces and struggling uh, the good fight on All Hallows' Eve. And then we have the Church Triumphant, where we celebrate all the saints. And then uh, today, All Souls' Day, where we celebrate uh, celebrate the dead, the, the normal dead, the everyday dead, the unknown dead, uh, some, some presumed to be in purgatory. Um, so we are, we are praying for them and hoping for them and also just having hopefully a, a wonderfully gloomy in a good way, um, 
memento mori type day uh, start of november here another great month october through december you really can't go wrong right i mean you have fall then we have um amazing all hollow tide triduum here and then we have thanksgiving and then christmas and new year's and then it kind of maybe um goes a little bit downhill but we are right in the thick of the best time of the year so welcome to this podcast my name is katie marquette and you are listening to born of wonder on this podcast we explore everything and any Anything that inspires wonder and awe in the world. Um, if you're new to the podcast, a uh, growing archive here for you to explore, lots to lots to discuss and think about and many uh, hopefully interesting topics to come. You can go back and listen to stories about uh, the Little Mermaid and her longing for an immortal soul. You can listen to Selkie stories and Celtic folklore. You can listen to an episode about which Lily James movies you should watch. So um, hopefully something for everyone. Uh, This is going to be a short podcast today. I just got back from the mountains, uh, the beautiful Shenandoah Valley, Blue Ridge Mountains, celebrating my anniversary with my husband and my wonderful daughter. We just had the most amazing time, Uh, but we are back now, and I did want to make sure to get out at least a short episode um, before, before this triduum ends here. I wanted to get this out for All Souls Day, and I wanted us to celebrate the beauty of the liturgy of um of sacred music so actually while we were out in the mountains we uh went to mass uh at a very very tiny church i mean it was um really a chapel but this was where their congregation met we were in a very rural area and uh they the the church was made of actually looked like a gym gym inside or like a college dorm room those white block cinder block things uh but they did have some really beautiful stained glass they had some beautiful statues um a beautiful altar so i'm not saying that uh that you need to have a big fancy church you don't need to be the Brompton oratory to have uh to have a, a wonderful sacred liturgy and even though this was a small congregation they did um some beautiful chants they incorporated a lot of uh a, a lot of chant actually they incorporated some latin um not that latin makes <laughs> makes a mass holier than any other mass but um it was it was just really beautiful beautifully done and um they had kneelers up front and uh very welcoming uh and yeah so i it was it was sort of uh, it encouraged me because we um had been uh hopping around to different liturgies and been very disappointed and i don't mean it to sound like that i have to oh my taste is that i like traditional hymns or traditional chant and and that uh that that these churches near me weren't delivering on that that's not really what i'm saying i wanted to focus though on the fact that music uh, matters a lot especially um in the liturgy especially uh if if we're incorporating it into uh acts of worship this is not just for catholicism this is for all religions that music has a very interesting role to play and i think that it's a mistake to pretend that it doesn't have um have the important role that it does there's lots and lots that I could say about this, but I'm going to kind of let this episode be dominated by uh, by the chant, uh, by these beautiful, um, beautiful liturgical hymns that I want to play for you, uh, just to illustrate the point for 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 itself, basically. Um, Pope Emeritus uh, Benedict has a lot to say about the liturgy, uh, spirit of the liturgy. I think I've recommended that before. Um, And he also wrote a lot about music. He is a huge music lover, um, loves classical music. 
and has uh, some very interesting, very wise things to say about the role of music in the liturgy. And I will put a link in the show notes. Um, there's a very helpful page online that has sort of put all of his thoughts, um, a lot from Spirit of the Liturgy about music, into um, into into sort of digestible format about what he says on, on different roles of music. So um, before, maybe you're thinking, okay, so um, maybe some people like chants, some people like more contemporary music, sort of what's the difference? Um, but actually, there's there's a long tradition of chant in the church. Um, chants of the office were sung during the canonical hours, and they have their roots in the early 4th century, uh, when desert monks following St. Anthony introduced the practice of continuous psalmody, singing the complete cycle of 150 psalms each week. And remember that psalms, you know, um, are sung. That's the tradition, is for psalms to be sung. So, uh, and around 375, uh, year 375, antiphonal psalmody, became popular in the Christian East. So there is, uh, there's this long, long tradition of chanting the Psalms, especially, um, but music has always been incorporated into, uh, into the liturgical practices. Um, I hear I'm going to quote Pope Benedict from Spirit of the Liturgy. He says, the importance of music in biblical religion is shown very simply by the fact that the verb to sing with related words such as song and so forth is one of the most commonly used words in the Bible. It occurs 309 times in the Old Testament and 36 in the New. When man comes into contact with God, mere speech is not enough. Areas of his existence are awakened that spontaneously turn into song. Indeed, man's own being is insufficient for what he has to express, and so he invites the whole of creation to become a song with him. Awake, my soul. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nation. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Psalm 57. We find the first mention of singing in the Bible after the crossing of the Red Sea. Israel has now been definitively delivered from slavery. In a desperate situation, it has had an overwhelming experience of God's saving power. Just as Moses as a baby was taken from the Nile and only then really received the gift of life, so Israel now feels as if it has been, so to speak, taken out of the water. It is freed, newly endowed with the gift of itself from God's own hands. In the biblical account, the people's reaction to the foundational event of salvation is described in this sentence. They believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. But then follows a second reaction, which soars up from the first with elemental force. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Year by year at the Easter Vigil, Christians join in the singing of this song. They sing it in a new way as their song because they know they have been taken out of the water by God's power set free for authentic life. I could keep going. I, he, he goes, he's such a beautiful writer. He, I'll just read a little bit more here. If you'll indulge me a little bit. He says, the singing of the church comes ultimately out of love. It is the utter depth of love that produces the singing. Just, I think that Pope Benedict is, is right, right on it here. He understands that the role of, uh, of song, of music is something, um, really deep in the human heart and that there's, there's this sort of need for uh, its full expression, uh, its full um, realization as a, as as a basically crying out, uh, crying out to God in gratitude, 
actually, one of these masses that I was not so wild about um, the the um, and the music was you know it's it it was not it, it was not uh, the the Brompton Oratory I'll just say that but it was um, interesting because the priest actually was talking about Beethoven and he brought up the fact that uh, you know Beethoven uh, whether or not he was devoutly Catholic himself uh, wrote many 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 works of sacred music and when asked about it should this only be performed in a church or should it be performed elsewhere and he said that he hoped that wherever it was performed it would raise people's hearts to God that this was a spiritual experience that music had the power to uh, infuse people's minds and souls uh, with with the sacred and I think that that's just true I think that we've all experienced that and I certainly have a very different feeling if I walk into uh, you know a very solemn mass with uh, with with liturgical mu- music playing than I do if I walk into um, you know, into a rock concert. And I'm not saying that, you know, the rock concert shouldn't exist, uh, but I have a different feeling about it. And Pope Benedict, um, he would differentiate those two things. He's pretty harsh about rock music. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're fans of, uh, of all kinds of music here in my family. And, um, you know, um, I love how Bishop Barron is such a fan of Bob Dylan. My husband is too, so they're they're very similar there. But um, of course, all sorts of music can can be uh, soul enriching. But I think we could have a good argument about what should be performed at mass. But going back to my point, he said that there are two types of music. He's drawing on Plato and Aristotle here, uh, dividing into two fundamental types. Apollonian music, like Apollo, that subdues the senses to the spirit and so brings humankind to the to its wholeness, and Dionysian music that subjects the spirit to the sen- senses. I'll read that again. Apollonian music that subdues the senses to the spirit and so brings humankind to wholeness, and Dionysian music that subjects the spirit to the sentence senses. So, I mean, I love Gregorian chant, but I don't really feel like dancing to Gregorian chant. And that's because it's really, it's subduing me. There's a reason why if you go on Spotify, there are hundreds of playlists of um, Gregorian chant for sleep. Um, And uh, I've used them. They're wonderful. Um, But they're about subduing the senses, engaging the mind, engaging the soul. Whereas if you go to one of your favorite band's concerts, you want to dance, you want to have another drink, you want to go have a good time, you're feeling really in the moment, um, you're really feeling in your body. And there's nothing nothing wrong with that, but uh, it it has its time and place. And I think that we've sort of lost that in, in our modern day of uh, what is the role and the place of the liturgy. Um, my priest says something very wise, which is that he, you, when you come into a church, you should feel like you're not in the world anymore. You should actually, this is supposed to be the taste of something new and different and exciting. And last year, there was a wonderful article in the New York Times called Weird Christians. And it was talking about sort of how all these young people, they're going to like these Latin masses and these um, candlelit services and these really, really traditional chanted um, long worship services. Uh, and it's sort of surprising to people. Maybe they're saying, oh, what, what, what do you need to appeal to young people? And I'm telling you, this is it. This is um this is ever ancient, ever new, uh, St. Augustine, this is the real deal. And the people know that when they go into a church and they hear something like that, that it's something new. It's something that we haven't heard before. And it excites people, it interests people. 
it gets them out of their head. Uh, so liturgical music, incredibly, incredibly important. Um, so read Pope Benedict if you're interested in learning more about um, sort of the role of music in the liturgy and just the liturgy generally. I would also recommend um, reading uh, Cardinal Seurat, The Power of Silence, and he talks a lot about uh, the balance of music and uh, and silence in the liturgy. Um, he says, you know, we live in such a loud world, um, always having something in our head, always having a podcast on, always having music on. Um, but actually, he says that chant can actually uh, create a stillness inside us that we need. And that then, you know, in addition to actually having chant sung, we should have moments of long silence in the liturgy, because when else are we going to experience this? Um, he writes really, really beautifully about that. Um, Here's a quote from uh, from The Power of Silence Against the Dictatorship of Noise. He says, Our world no longer hears God because it is constantly speaking at a devastating speed and volume in order to say nothing. Modern civilization does not know how to be quiet. It holds forth in an unending monologue. Postmodern society rejects the past and looks at the present as a cheap consumer object. It pictures the future in terms of an almost obsessive progress. Its dream, which has become a sad reality, will have been to lock silence away in a damp, dark dungeon. Thus, there is a dictatorship of speech, a dictatorship of verbal emphasis. In this theater of shadows, nothing is left but a purulent wound of mechanical words without perspective, without truth, without foundation. Quite often, truth is nothing more than the pure and misleading creation of the media, corroborated by fabricated images and testimonies. When that happens, the word of God fades away, inaccessible and inaudible. Postmodernity is an ongoing offense and aggression against the divine silence. So, um, a lot to think about there and the role, again, of what uh, music has in, in the liturgy and how that can inspire silence and not just be a part of what um, Cardinal Sarasso eloquently calls the dictatorship of noise. Um, there's been a lot, if, if you are Catholic, you know about, <laughs> this is, there's a lot of drama. People, people who listen who aren't religious or um, maybe from a different religion or denomination are like, why does it matter if mass is in Latin or not? Well, that could be its own thing. <laughs> there's a lot to say about that. But if you go to my blog, you can read a post I wrote last year, how Agatha Christie saved the Latin mass. So she was pretty, uh, pretty involved with that. And she was an Anglican. So that's an interesting story. You'll have to go to the blog to read the whole story. But I am bringing it up because in, um, in, in this letter that she and others signed to the Pope at the time about, uh, you know, quote, unquote, saving the Latin mass, she was arguing and they were arguing on the basis of cultural and artistic value. Um, they wrote, in the materialistic and technocratic civilization that is increasingly threatening the life of the mind and spirit in its original creative expression, the word, it seems particularly inhuman to deprive man of word forms in one of their most grandiose manifestations. Today, as in times gone by, educated people are in the vanguard where recognition of the value of tradition is concerned and are the first to raise the alarm when it is threatened. <laughs> 
We are not at this moment considering the religious or spiritual experience of millions of individuals. The right in question has also inspired a host of priceless achievements in the arts, not only mystical works, but works by poets, philosophers, musicians, architects, painters, and sculptors in all countries and epochs. So there's an artistic argument here too, and the role of art in the in the mind and in the in the soul and and, uh, what it means to be a human being and to experience things that actually um i love the way they put this they said it's particularly inhuman to deprive man of this experience of of this experience of the divine that the the sort of this beautiful creation in uh in in this incredibly ancient beautiful rite uh and enchant forms uh if you think about also how tolkien when he describes wonderfully in the silmarillion the creation of the world he describes how um it was created through song how the how how singing was the was the first sound and this is a this is an image that um that saints came to also is that actually before the fall instead of speech there was song that everything was sung and tolkien has uh, beautiful lines about basically how god sung or um or uru in uh, in the silmarillion how he how he sings into creation um, he says uh, he he basically uh, creates these spiritual beings uh, very similar to angels, the Anur, and invites them to sing in the song. And he says to them, of the theme that I have declared to you, I will now, I I will now that you make in harmony together a great music. And since I have kindled in you with the flame imperishable, ye shall know forth your powers in adorning this theme, each with its own thoughts and devices, if he will. But I will sit and hearken and be glad that through you, great beauty has been wakened into song. So then um, the fall, you know, um, the, the, uh, the great fall, the, the satanic moment in Tolkien's myth um, is when uh, one of the Aenor named Melkor, who's like Lucifer, um, he, he strikes up a discordant theme and he tries very hard to sort of fight against the theme that the rest of the angels are singing and uh, it's an amazing idea that um, that that basically that song uh, that that the discordant melody was sort of the origin of um, of the fall and that maybe when we hear beautiful chant when we hear a beautiful melody when we hear music being um, brought together in the way it should be uh, that that's actually hearkening back to a pre-fallen world uh, t- uh, Tolkien's close friend C.S. Lewis um, also includes a similar account of creation in the magician's uh, in the magician's nephew um, when Aslan begins to sing and the world starts to take form this is a quote from the magician's nephew in the darkness something was happening at last a voice had begun to sing and it seemed to come from all directions at once its lower notes were deep enough to be the voice of the earth herself there were no words there was hardly even a tune but it was beyond comparison the most beautiful noise he had ever heard So um, lots of beautiful ways to think about the role of song, the role of music in our lives, in the liturgy, and in, uh, in the way we, we worship, in the way that we experience the arts, in the way that uh, we respond to this human experience. So something to think about this All Souls Day. Um, I'm going to 
end here uh, with some sacred music by Beethoven. I'm going to end with his Gloria, so here performed um, by the orchestra in the Netherlands. So I will uh, put a link to that in the show notes. You can listen to more of that. Uh, And also I should note that some of this other beautiful music you've been hearing is from the Baltimore Basilica, uh, which is my home parish. Uh, We don't get there as often as we would like, hence the church hopping. But um, it's an amazing place. I can't recommend it enough if you're in the area. This is just, this is the 1045 Sunday Mass Baltimore Basilica. You can go and hear this amazing choir. Uh, They're doing amazing, beautiful things there. And uh, it's only getting better. So uh, what a gift to have that right here. So I hope that this music has brought you some um, contemplation, introspection. Uh, Again, there's a lot I could discuss about this, but I wanted to make sure to get this out and um, hopefully inspire you to listen to some more uh, sacred music today. Happy All Souls Day. Happy happy All Hallow Triduum. um, Happy Fall. I hope everyone is enjoying the cold weather. I think it's getting down into the 30s um, every night this week. I'm very excited. So fires, sweaters, all those good things, hot tea. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for those who have emailed me and um, shared your thoughts about the podcast. It's meant so much to me. I'm really moved by by some of the things that you've said. And uh, as I always say, reviews are so important if you have time to leave a review. So appreciated. Um, I love doing this podcast and I love hearing from you. So thank you so much for listening. I'm Katie Marquette and you've been listening to Born of Wonder. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing.